everyone, and welcome to the show. It's the Mark and Mark Podcast. We are back. I'm a sports editor, Mark Podolsky. I love pop culture, and you are? Entertainment editor, Mark Mazouris. I love sports, and I wasn't sure when you'd be back from North Carolina from your big trip, but happy to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, yeah, I was down there for Mitchell Trubisky's. I got it right, Mitchell. Mitchell. I, uh, I got called out by the, uh, the North Carolina coach when I approached him. I said, hey, coach, you guys talk about Mitch Trubisky? He's like, Oh, you mean Mitchell? I don't know a Mitch Trubisky. <laughs> I know. That's Fedora, right? The secretly Larry, buff uh, football coach? Yes, there's he's no question. He's in crazy good shape. He's a, he's a good guy. We, we, we were talking for a few minutes there, and th- it was interesting. Uh, I arrived on Monday in Chapel Hill at the campus, which incredibly is like from Menor High School to Lake Catholic High School in vicinity of Duke. Is like they don't mess around when they say those two schools are close. My my, my sister uh, lived down there for a short time after college, and I love talking to people from that area because you hear that exact thing. Yeah, you hear that. It's least, amazing. At least the North Carolina campus is beautiful, right? Oh, they're both gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So I'd, I'd like to get down there at some point just to poke around. I mean, because I just can't imagine like Ohio State, Michigan being like <laughs> be crazy. two a mile apart, two miles apart. However, it's it was it was it was it was fun to be down there. We we were there for a very short while, but we kind of. We try to get as much as we could in turn, you know, seeing all the, um, you know, the, the, the Dean Dome, the football stadium, and great athletic complex with the football practice facility, the baseball field for a college. The baseball field is just immaculate. It's gorgeous. And we went to a, uh, this mom and pop store. It was called Sutton's Drug Store. And it's kind of like the, the – it's a student hangout, but it's also a big – athlete hangout okay they've got jerseys baseball and football or basketball and ba- uh, football jerseys hanging up big michael jordan posters and then they got you know kind of like you know, eight by ten photos of athletes that come in their pitcher in the booth and it's kind of like you know they're famous for their hamburgers chocolate milkshakes breakfast and uh, it looks like an old drugstore. It looks it was converted from like an old drugstore. They've been around since 1923. So it kind of got a little flavor of, of campus life there and a little bit of how you know, Mitch has been accepted. Being a kid, sort of an outsider coming from eight hours away. You don't yeah. see a lot of Ohio kids on the North Carolina football team. So, um, But ironically, there's two mentor kids, uh, Trubisky and his, his uh, uh, former teammate at Mentor, Tight end Brandon Fritz. Well, I assume that's no coincidence. I would assume one that. I think it helped. Yeah. I think it helped. I think it definitely. Maybe when they were recruiting Mitch, they probably saw Brandon because he was a Mitchell. year younger. Mitchell. Gosh, see, I know. I let the first one slide. This but. is gonna be taking a. This is gonna take a while. So yeah, I was down there with the main emphasis to check out the pro day, and uh, very interesting because when I got there, first person I saw was John Lynch. From oh the, yeah, from the 49ers, the GM. He was there. And I saw we were, you know, because a buddy of mine from college, he likes checking out college towns. He's in the, co- you know, just the college scene. It's just, it's just fun for us. We've been doing it for years. And he was with me, and we're looking for Browns. We're, you know, we're seeing Bears, Jets, Car. I mean, every every team was there in, in some representative. There wasn't a lot of coaches there. I don't think there was any head coaches there. I think I saw a few GMs, but. So we get down there, we're like, where are the Browns? What's going on? And I saw this young kid. He must have looked 25 at the most. And I kind of just flagged him down. I was like, hey, I'm so-and-so from the News Herald. You know, are you, you know, are you the only one here? He goes, I think there's another scout somewhere. 
And I asked his name, and he said, Max. And he starts walking away. Can I get your last name? And he, like, barely looked back at me and gave me his last name. It was Paulus, Max Paulus. Okay. And I'm like, hey, is Sashi or Huey here? He goes, I don't know. <laughs> well, he, they weren't there. But uh, well, that's what I, I I saw that the Browns didn't send Sashi or Hugh, but I assume they had somebody there. But it sounds so, like not a. Big so they had two scouts there, and and, and, and they're and obviously they, going to have men for and, a private work. And listen, to be fair, this is not critical of the Browns. I think you know whatever they decide, that's their prerogative. But there, there weren't a lot. It looked like there weren't a lot of NFL brass type there. I think I might have seen the Steelers GM Kevin Gilbert. I think his name is Gilbright. I think Gilbright. I'm I think. not sure. You might I think I, think I saw Byron Leftwich there. I think he's an assistant GM with someone. Oh, I didn't know that. I don't know if it's. It might be the Steelers or the Jaguars. I can't remember. I think I might have been. To, I might have might have been on Jaguars. So, you know, and then you know, ESPN had their sets there with uh, McShade. Mike Mike Mayak was there. I guess my question to you is, uh, and I have questions for you, but go on. But as a Browns fan. I guess my question is, okay, they don't want to be there because, it, look, it was scripted. He had his coach there, Ryan Lindley, former NFL quarterback. He's been coaching him. He's represented by Rep. One, a sports agency firm out in uh, Irvine, California. So, you know, he came there. He had a chart. It was it was very scripted. Like, right. Exactly knew what he was doing. You know, when a team comes in, per NFL rules, they have to come into the campus to, to run them through a private workout. They can put them through the ringer. They can throw wrenches in there and mix them up and kind of throw everything they want at them. So it's a bit, look, I get it. It's very different from a pro day when the NFL teams have no control over what he does and what you throw at him. But my thing is, as a Browns fan, like, what would it hurt for the Browns to be there? It can only help you, right? So, so two, two thoughts on that. Like, I don't think any of us think that these people who are high up in football teams for the most part are lazy, right? Like they work long days. This is, right. this is the, absolutely. So it's not, not being there out of laziness. Now, is it, are you not there because you think you can use your time more wisely? And I can easily believe that you can. Right. What always concerns me is the thought, and we used to always think this with like Ray Farmer and I don't know whether it was fair, but this thought that the Browns are trying to like outsmart people like we didn't go because we don't want you to think we're that interested right and i think that's a simple kind of silly i think i think there is absolutely something to that okay because if it's that i think that's ridiculous this whole like tipping your hand by going to the pro day if you've got something better to do with your if sashi brown and and hugh jack can spend their time doing something uh else but great do that yeah but don't do it because you're being clever and you're being coy and everyone knows the browns are in the market for a quarter well listen i'm gonna go off topic here but uh, John Camp, who's our staff writer here at the News Herald, he was out at Toledo's Pro Day where Kareem Hunt was there. Very interesting to see where he goes. So, but there's also at, at these kind of Pro Days where, uh, like the Mac school, you have a lot of Division Two and Three kids. Well, a kid from Lake Erie College here in Lake Erie or at, in Lake County in Painesville, he, Anthony Kukwa, prepped over at Perry High School, you know, played at, he went to Ball State, Division One, transferred to Lake Erie. He got an invite to go to the pro day. He's got some really good skills because he can long snap. He is 6'4", 240, and he's just a very athletic. Apparently, he ran like a mid 4'5", which is great. I mean, for me, it's moving for a kid that big. Right, right, right. And John was talking to me afterwards. He, he said, like, when he pulled off the 40 time, these NFL teams were like, don't tell anybody what you ran. Anybody. Like, you know, some, you know what I mean? So they... Right. You know, they think, oh, maybe this kid's a diamond in a rough. Don't tell anybody because, like, they want to 
hide that information because you know, oh, maybe we'll like it's come on, that, that's gonna be knowledge. That's you know, you can't. The kid needs to put that out there himself to make himself more attractive, right? You know, so it's like I, I absolutely think there's something to that. Like, huh. oh, you know, we're not that interested, and you know, we don't think it's a big deal. But you know, I think I think it's important because you can get to know. I mean, everybody can watch the film and see if he can make the throws, but you can by observing. And I, I was there right 20, 30 yards away. You can see how he's interacting, how he deals with looking. Listen, that that was that was a pretty intense day for him. I mean, everywhere he walked, he had 10, 15, me included, right. people following him as every kind of every step he took, cameras everywhere, uh, microphones hanging from him. I mean, I remember him just walking from one end of the field to the, to the other. I don't know if it was an NFL Network or ESPN. I mean, literally that camera guy, you know how they do those ground shots? Right. Literally walking like six inches next to him. And Mitch, you know, just didn't flinch. And, you know, those are the kind of things, how he interacts with his buddies. You know, uh, you know do they respect him? Do they like him? You can gauge that stuff Honestly, very easily. And, and, like, look, we don't really know. The, the two Browns representatives, it sounds like we don't really know what their positions are. But you would think you would send somebody he was a scout. He pretty he was a scout. high in your pro development or your pro personnel uh, department. Especially when you're thinking about, okay, is this guy potentially going to be our franchise quarterback if we draft him? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I would think, like, let's not leave any stone unturned. Because, like, look, you could, you could sit down with this coach for an hour maybe that afternoon. Or maybe, you know... Uh, one of his teammates, you know, what? Tell me what this kid's all about, you know. So, can I go back to something you said just to so I understand? Because I, I get a little interested in the process and what teams in anything are allowed and not allowed to do. Right. You mentioned coming onto the campus to give him a private workout. Right. So, if a team wants to give him a private workout, they have to do it there. Yes. But they can have him come visit the facility and do like the chalkboard stuff and go to lunch, right? He just right. can't throw <clears throat> and things like that. What I was told by his agent and by Mitch is that since you. In his case, since he is within, I think, on a 60-mile radius of his hometown of uh, a pro team, team yeah. so obviously the Browns would would qualify. If he would come home, if he would be, if he would visit the Browns in Berea, he can uh, visit, be interviewed, do your, you know, John Gruden chalk talk, right. and he Spider can, banana, right? Yeah, and he can uh, also work out. Throw the balls, oh, work okay. up receivers. That's a weird little. It is. Uh, it's kind of a hidden rule. Yeah, and so now if like the Jets want to interview him and work him out, they have to come to him on North Carolina. But can't he still? He could still go there, right? He, he can still go to. He can't like do the physical. He stuff. can't put you know shorts and his right. you know and hoodie that's, on. That's interesting. I never, I never knew that. That's so that's that's what I've been told. That, that I think that's a league rule and. Uh, it's interesting because I would think that would be a great advantage to the Browns because, you know, if you're going to North Carolina to work him out, you're still going to have him a little bit in his comfort level. You know, he's he's, right. he's, he's he knows his surroundings. He knows the ins and outs. He's going to work with his receivers that, that he worked with in college. You know, you come to the Browns facility, you might be working with, you know, who knows, Corey Coleman and, and, and Gary Barnage. I mean, I don't know. 
Well, and you want to, you want to get him off his feet, right? So what I do if I'm the Browns is I dress everybody in like Saint Ignatius gear, yeah, and I right. pump in some booze, yeah. and I see how he responds. Right, you never know. I mean, what they're going to do? <laughs> Teams do some weird things. Mangini used to always play all that rock music when he ran uh, practice, right? But let, let me ask you just some general questions about pro day, and then you can get back to anything else you want to mention. But um, I'm correct. Like fans can't go to this, right? You need to be some kind of press or team representative. I, it's either uh, some team associated with the team, media, or family. Okay, and like maybe maybe close friends would qualify, but like just like a Joe fan just can't walk walk in. You have to be credentialed somehow. And I know you're there to I know you're there to work, and you specifically are covering Mitchell, so it's not really a fair question. But like, how entertaining is a pro day? And I would imagine I'm guessing it's the first one you've ever gone to. Is that correct? I think I might have been to some in the past. I can't remember, but it might have been my first one. But is it kind of is it kind of interesting as a as a sports fan to watch them um, put through all this stuff or is it more just It is cool because I think I'd be honest, with you, it's very cool to kind of people watch. I mean, I tell you what, it was very interesting to see how he reacted. Oh, look, they have like 15 players there. And I'm telling you right now, there are some talent on that team. Mm-hmm. They've got some they got a running back who ran a 4-2-3 at the at a 4-2-7 at the combine, TJ Logan, Elijah Hood, They've got these receivers, Bug Howard. They got this little kid, Brian Switzer, 5'8, set the NCAA record for most punt return touchdowns, oh, like eight okay. or nine. But like caught like 90 or 100 balls. I mean, he looked like uh like a 15-year younger version of Wes Welker. I mean, this kid okay. might be like this guy's got like the Patriots written all over him. <laughs> you know? Sounds like a Danny Woodhead, although he's like Exa- running back, right, kind of like that equivalent. And there is going to be, like, and that was another reason why I was thinking, well, you know, maybe if you're Browns and you come here, you can find some guys. I mean, they, they got this Bug Howard receiver. He's got to be 6'5", huge. But Well, that's what I was thinking. Like, there, are, it's not just about Trubisky. There are other players working out. Well, but then I think, well, all these colleges are having a pro day, and maybe a coach and GM can't go to all of them anyway. Right. So I, I don't know where. Well, I guess the thing is, like, it, it was, like, and, like it was 15. It, there were 15, 15 guys there. But the second Trubisky arrived, you just knew all eyes. Like, everybody was like, okay, he's here. And, like, I remember seeing the AP photographer um, from from the, Carolina, from, the, from the Charlotte area, Greensboro area. And I was like, hey, uh, you shooting for, for AP? Because he had the biggest lens. I was like, this guy's got to be AP. He's like, I'm here to shoot Trubisky. Like, so, like, right. you know, you know, that's just the way, it's just the nature of the beast. All eyes are going to be quarterback. I mean, he's, you know, he's the one that's generating the buzz. For at a school where it's most known for basketball, and there is a lot of buzz building around that, that area. So I guess get back to your point, it was entertaining just to see kind of like it was a little bit of a circus atmosphere, just because of the buzz around yeah. Trubisky. You know, if, if it was an offensive left tackle that was projected as a top two or three pick or whatever, right. you, you know, you're not going to get that buzz. But there's going to be weird. For, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've been to some better games, and it's just weird to see this guy you've seen in this other setting. Now yeah. he's surrounded by these oh, national media types and everything. It, it, I mean, it's it's very reminiscent. We talked before we, we started of Stipe Mayosic. I mean, I remember watching Stipe, you know, when he was at East Lake North as a wrestler. He was a quiet, re, shy kid. Right. And he goes to Cleveland State, and he's a pretty good wrestler. And, you know, he's off the radar for about a decade. And then all of a sudden he's, you know, I'm getting calls. Hey, you know, watch out for this guy. He wants to be an MMA fighter. And then. Second, he becomes heavyweight champ. I mean, this thing just blew up in like a matter of six, seven right. months. And that's the thing with Mitch. I remember talking to him last August. I mean, you know, it was just, hey, I'm getting ready to be a starter at Division One, and 
four or five months later, this kid is like a megastar now. It's yeah. weird how things can change. I mean, it kinda... this is putting you on the spot in a way that I hate to be. So if you don't have an answer, it's fine. But like, do, do you do you know the highest a, a kid from Lake County has ever been drafted in the NFL? Because I got to think it's going to be Trubisky most likely, right? Well, Lake County or our area, which would include Jug and Eastern Cuyahoga County, Desmond Howard was, I think, the fourth pick. Okay. And obviously he was a St. Joe Joe's grad. Right, right. And I think he was the fourth pick in 91 draft for Lake County. That's a great question. And obviously Robert Smith was, I think, oh, the, right. the, I think he was the 20th pick. I was more thinking of Lake County, and I was only thinking of who's the tight end you find the camp. Or the receiver, Juravicious. Juravicious. Right? I mean, he a, wouldn't have gone that high. No, Juravicious was, I think, a second-round pick. But I think, I mean, you know, someone could probably correct me, but, you know, I think once he gets drafted, he might be the highest pick ever come out of Lake County drafted. I mean, I would guess, but I don't, you know, and I know, again, I'm putting you on the spot. I'm just curious. No, I think I, it's going to be, it's just another reason for fans around here to get excited for this draft specifically. I think there's going to be so many reasons to watch that round one that right. night. And um, I'm starting, I still want the Browns to, not that we want to get in this, I still hope the Browns can trade for Garoppolo, but that looks less and less likely. Yeah. So, you know, Maybe they. I want them to draft Garrett one, but maybe they trade up a little bit, trade, take Trubisky, and then the sugar on top. And I hate to be the guy who just wants the local players, and I don't think that's their you know goal. But like, give me that Kareem Hunt too. I wouldn't complain. You know, I know Browns a little, Browns a little scat back. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, you know, that wouldn't be in round one, but you know, come out of draft weekend with those three guys, it'd be pretty exciting. It's, uh, it's the way this is, you know unfolds, and I think I talked to you about this, like you know, the ebbs and flow of this, of you know his his stock going up, stock going down, Trubisky. Trubisky, I don't know. It's hard to gauge where it's at right now. Like I think, you know, that buzz was going about him being that second pick to the 49ers. Now everybody's thinking maybe he's dropping off a little bit. Now everybody's kind of really, you know, this was projected as a very strong defensive draft. And if you saw the latest Kuiper and McShay's draft, they a lot of them have like loading up with the defensive players going in the top ten. And you know, a lot of people are seeing Trubisky potentially fall into that 10 spot or, or well, that, 12 that, spot. The reason, the, you could, the reason I think you could see it is because it's hard to know what the Niners want to do. They, they, they could get by for a little bit with Hoyer because he knows uh, right. uh, the system of the coach. Shanahan. Shanahan. I think it was name. And uh, the Bears pretty much addressed their quarterback, I think, with Glennon. So, you know, I'm sure the Jets are in there. You know, I know. But uh, – you know, somebody could always trade up. I think. I think if the Browns really fall in love with him or Watson, I think they need to use one of these. They have all these assets. Yeah, I, I think, think they try to move up. I think what's really interesting is that if no teams, let's say the first eleven picks, Browns included, are not there's not a quarterback taken. You wonder if the Browns are going to sit back there and say, "Well, if they've fallen this far, maybe they're going to keep falling." And then you know, we could use assets. We got that second second round pick now, or that extra second round pick from the Texans. In the Osweiler trade. So if you're sitting there, you know, you don't take a quarterback and you take maybe O.J. Howard or a running back at number 12, and you're sitting there at 33, maybe you say to yourself, if Watson and Trubisky are, are falling and then you're talking in mid-20s, maybe you try to trade up to that spot, try to get into the maneuver there where it doesn't so take So you're giving them three first round. I don't know. I'm just saying, you know, it yeah. could, you know, maybe it, it happens that way, you know, it's it's and this could go back to what you were saying earlier about not wanting to show their hand right. by not showing up and saying to themselves, "Well, maybe we're not interested in Trubisky." You know, I you know I don't know. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Maybe they shock everybody. And I pull, always and pull I up always, Kevin Costner and just say 
It's Trubisky and nobody else. In all walks of life, whether it's politics or sports or whatever, I'm constantly guilty of giving people too much credit. Oh, well, they're not. It's not this. They're actually no. They were just doing the silly thing the whole time. Right. So I don't want to discount that. But uh, back to your talking about the ebbs and flows of Trubisky, and I think the same goes for Watson because you hear great things yeah. about him, and he's a winner. I think it's going to be kind of what we always see. These guys are going to get in the interview process. Teams are going to fall more and more in love with them. Yeah. I bet both those guys. I don't know about anybody else, but I bet both those guys go relatively high. I well, can't believe I can't believe the Browns can just sit back in 12 and and have the guy they want fall to them, but who knows? You know, where things have happened. And it's and, possible. You, but, you know, it's weird. I I think people tend to think well after the senior bowl and the combines over it this is kind of all, you know, kind of a flat line now to the draft. Where I think once these teams get into their it's a, it's a, it's a quiet time, but it's also I think behind the scenes are very crazy yeah. time because you get these teams that will have these private meetings now and you don't really know what they're thinking but that's when you can see if they really like a guy or if they don't like a guy so you but you just don't know what's going to happen but maybe you know, these these Schefters and these Kuipers of the world they're so well connected that's where you'll see maybe if they think there's a few teams that are really in love with either Trubisky or Watson you'll see them maybe getting in that two to three or six range or something or maybe one overall you talk about a crazy time. I, you know, I think we recorded two weeks ago, and I think during the podcast we were, we were joking that like uh, you just know Terrell Pryor is going to sign right after the podcast, and that didn't happen. What did happen was the Osweiler trade, yeah. right? Yeah, back, you yeah. Were still sitting right here, and I came back to tell you about it. So that's a long way of saying I can't wait to see what when all the dust is settled and however they we know they've got a second round pick for taking him on, but I got to think there's more to the plan either. Cutting him or using that pick, I can't wait till you can shake out that whole trade well, and see what the Browns. I'll tell you what. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. Might be something going on on draft day, but the more this plays out, and the more they don't get a quarterback, I mean, you've got to think it's either going to be Osweiler or Kessler start. Yeah, I don't. I don't really understand I, I, this, this. Who else is going to play? I mean, I think they'll draft somebody, but if, I don't understand this desire to uh, just cut uh, Osweiler for nothing, basically. Right. You know, use them for a year because you don't have much on your roster right now. I mean, you know, who knows how it's going to play out? But I mean, you know, maybe you just maybe you just see what you got in Osweiler. Is that the worst thing in the world? I just, you know, I wouldn't cut him unless you really think you're going to somebody, some team's going to, you know, pick him up and pay some of that money. But they know more than I do. I think absolutely, sir. So, uh, all right, we're going to move on to movies, and it's a big week for movies. In the city of Cleveland, the Cleveland International Film Festival debuts when? Starts Wednesday night. This is the 41st CIFF. Which state? What, what day is that? So, so that's March 29th. So it runs March 29th with the opening night film. And I think they might show a couple after that. Then it runs pretty much nonstop uh, during daylight hours anyways until April 9th. I mean, pretty much, I haven't looked at the exact schedule but anymore. You know, this thing's gotten so big. They basically go from 9 in the morning and like shut it down at midnight every day. So this is just nonstop films. I think this year they're having, uh, I have it in my preview here somewhere, like maybe 215 feature films and a bunch of shorts. And they bring in directors and producers and to a little degree actors. And it's it's just a great event if you like to, uh, you're, you've been known to binge some things. This is a binger's delight. You go yeah. down to Tower City and you just park yourself in the day and you load up on junk food in between screenings. So, well, How do you know as a boomy guy or girl, how do you know what you want? Like what to look for because you know this, these aren't mainstream marketed films. These are, I'm, I guess, these are what you'd call the diamond and diamond in the rough kind of films. Yeah, I mean they're they're 
can you go somewhere and research what you're looking for? Well, you can certainly look with the internet. You can find something on any of these movies. Now, I, I, as writing as I wrote this this week, I thought I would find a little bit more. I, I thought I would find more in the way of like official sites and trailers. And these movies, See, a lot you spoke of them too soon, right? They've got they maybe got a Facebook page. But mostly, what I found a lot of these films debuted at Sundance, so you can find like a review from mm-hmm. Sundance. But what I've typically done, to, you know, I usually write a preview, and then I don't usually really do any writing down at the festival. I'll just go as a fan. And basically, I would recommend people do what I do. Pick a day where you can go and you can spend a big block of time there. Take your program or take the app on your phone. And then you get down there and then you've got, you know, four, five, six choices in a block. And I basically would like, okay, this seems the most interesting to me. And then you look at how the times match up. So wait, up. Are, are there like multiple rooms? Oh, yeah. They, they okay. basically take over Tower City. Oh, they run okay. like 10 auditoriums. Oh, okay. So you've always, you've always got a bunch of movies at once. And then, you know, you can kind of look at the schedule and see like, Okay, well, this one's going to finish at this time. That'll give me time to get over this other auditorium. That'll give me time to go get a snack and then get to this one. So I just go down largely because we're all busy. You know, I just pick a day where I can go down there and then I see two, three movies in that block and I don't, you know, just see what you can really. Well, tell me what's some things that are trending that might be interesting. Well, I don't know about trending, but I had a unique opportunity this year um, because I recently went to the True False Film Festival, a documentary film festival in Columbia, Missouri, which is uh, the home of the University of Missouri. And uh, I saw a bunch of documentaries there, and as luck would have it, uh, four of them, four of the ones that I saw, are, are playing at Cleveland. So I did a little sidebar to my, well, actually a big sidebar to my uh, to my general preview about these four movies. And uh, my favorite one is The Force, and it was this documentary where the, the filmmakers were kind of, for lack of a better word, embedded inside the Oakland Police Department for two years, Oakland, California, for two years when um, there was a lot of uh, tumultuous stuff going on. They had already, the department had already been put under federal oversight because they had so many, uh, so many problems. And basically the, the documentary starts out and you're getting to know this police chief. Uh, his last name is Went, I believe. And he really seems like he's, uh, he's got the right priorities and he's trying to do the best he can under some difficult situations. And he's really turning things around. And then, as we know, happens in life, something well, within or without his control, I'll leave it to someone to see it and judge, happens. And then is they this, start snowballing an, is, the other way. Is this way. a national event or a local event? Um, I people think, recognize it? I think it got, you know, if you follow the news closely, I think it got some headlines. Okay. But I'm not saying it's the, you know, it's a big thing. Um, so, I, you know, you know, you can go find anything you want out about this department. So, but I don't want to give too much away. It's a, it's, it's, I said in my piece, it's everything I like about documentary, or it's everything documentary films can be or what I like about them because gives you access to something you wouldn't normally have right. and you're inside this department and then you think you're telling one story but as journalists we know you got to follow the truth so the story becomes something else in the middle yeah. of it and i just thought it was uh it sounds interesting I it was really well done it sounds interesting because it sounds like it's pretty rare to get that kind of uh, access to a police department right well i would say that except you've got cops and those kind of shows so maybe yeah. not as much as it used to be but you know a documentary is going to spend more time than something like that i mean they, they yeah. really put their time in um so I thought that was my favorite one. My second favorite one, I think this anyone who sees this movie is going to fall in love with this movie. So these are all movies you've seen, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the sec- my second favorite one was called Step, and it's about there's this Baltimore – it's called the Baltimore Leadership School for Girls or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they were founded, I believe, in 2009, they started a step dancing team. And this filmmaker is actually the daughter of the founder of the school. I was like, how does she have this access to all this? Well, she's the daughter of the founder. That's how you get that access. But she followed this team through the years. And now it's their senior year uh, last year. And she's basically following. They've never won this big regional title they want to win. So she's following throughout the year. They're trying to win this title. But she's also focusing on three of the girls and their 
post high school uh, academic desires. You know, one is just trying to get into college any way she can because she's had some truancy issues, some grade issues. Another one's at the top of her class and she's definitely going to get into college, but is she going to get into John Hopkins where she really wants to go? Another girl's kind of in the middle, you know, where will she get in? So you just, you know, it's just, it's, uh, it's fun people to follow and uh, it's kind of a different world and the step dancing is exciting and you know it's just one of those movies it debuted at Sundance and Fox uh, Searchlight picked up the distribution rights so that movie's going to play a lot of places if you miss it at the festival i i believe i'm guessing it'll be at Cedar Lee for a weekend or two so i think in the world of documentaries it's going to be a hit you know i think it's going to make some money and those girls are going to be they're going to have their 15 minutes of fame i think so after that you know, those are my two favorites. The two I didn't like as much, there's this movie Quest, which um, follows 10 years uh, in the life of a family in North Philadelphia, which is an urban area. This patriarch of the family, whose nickname is Quest, he runs a studio out of his basement recording aspiring hip-hop stars. So it's kind of about that, but it's kind of just about their life. They've got this daughter who, you know, when you first get to know her, I'm going to guess she's like seven, and then when, you, when the movie's over, she's more like 16 or 17. So just... Watching her grow and watch them develop, it's it's pretty interesting. I was I was hoping for a Sounds little like boyhood, huh? A little bit, a little bit. I was hoping for a little bit more out of it, um, but but it's worthwhile. The one I was most disappointed in because I had pretty high hopes for it. It's called Whose Streets, and it basically takes you inside the protest in Ferguson, Missouri, mm-hmm. uh, for 2014. And there, there's some worthwhile stuff, and it, it really helps you understand where those people are coming from. Um, but and I don't know that the filmmakers went for any balance, but they really don't give you any anything else. It's really all from their perspective. And there's value in that. But I think as a journalist, you'd understand when I say, like, I kind of want always – I just have that need for another side. Yeah, right. Even though I think that police department – and, you know, you can read up on everything that went there if you need a refresher. I think there's a – they deserved a lot of criticism. So I'm not saying there was this equal other side to be told. But I just wanted a little something more out of that movie. So that's just my rankings of what I saw the Force. Try to see The Force and Step, and then if you have Time Quest and Who's Streets. Well, They're all playing more towards the end of the festival uh, in, uh, in uh, like around April 8th, April 9th, April 10th. And uh, you're going to tell me about a movie that's playing, uh, what, middle of April 5th or 6th? April 3rd and 4th, which is a Monday and Tuesday, and it just adds a really strong local flavor to the festival. It's a documentary that, you're, you're, you know, you're talking about documentaries. Yeah. There's, there's going to be a documentary. I think it's, they're placing it in the sports Division of the, I don't know, sports section or division okay. of, of the, the festival. Yeah, I forget what they call them. Yeah, so this one is called Breaking Balls, not Breaking Bad, <laughs> but Breaking Balls. And it's about, if you if you, if you you are from the, the Wycliffe, Willowick area, um, I'm sure you're well aware of how big the bocce tournament is in Wycliffe. It's called the Cleveland Challenge Cup of Bocce. It's been going on for about three decades. And... There's a man who grew up in Wycliffe, graduated from the high school. His name's John Vorlis. And he uh, went to Case Western Reserve as undergrad, got his undergrad and grad, a postgrad in film study in Case. And he moved out to Hollywood for the last 20 years. And he just, uh, he was, you know, he was in the business doing some production work. And he came back to take care of his parents, and he was a little tired of the Hollywood life. And he came back in 2010, and he was just hanging out with his Wycliffe buddies, and they all, one of his buddies one day said, hey, let's go down to the bocce tournament, because it's every, it's every year at the Italian American Club right. in Wycliffe, every August. 
So this is, I think, 2010 or... I feel like I went as a kid with my parents. Yeah, 2010 or 11, and he goes down and he said, you know, he's blown away by just the scene and the right. feel and, and all the, you know, just the, the tradition. And he said to himself, someone should make this movie about this. And he had never made a documentary in his life. So to make a long story short, which but I'll get into greater detail because I'm going to do a story on this probably next week sometime. He's focusing this on three people. Uh, one of the top bocce players in the world, apparently, lives in Mayfield. Another guy, a little older, runs. He's like the media director or runs, runs the tournament every year. And then there's another guy who runs, takes care of the grounds there, the landscaper. Makes sure everything looks nice and tidy. So he kind of ties all this together. Now, it took him four years to make this film. Because he started filming it in 12, 13, 14, or no, 13, 14, 15, and then 16. So the last four summers, the last four tournaments in August. So it, uh, That's he, pretty cool. He, he, he's, it, it, you know, it, he, there's a lot, there's a few hiccups along the way. Um, him and his, the editor, because he said, you know, I know how to shoot a film. I know what a scene looks like. I don't know how to, I didn't know how to edit really. He had to hire an editor. And he teaches at Cleveland State. He had a lot of his students help with the camera work. That's lot, cool. Lot, you know, it, it was a kind of a mish. Really DIY. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it, the way it all came together. He, he was very, very happy. And is he uh, is he getting you a screener? You can be able to see. He it? is. He's going to get me a screener. I think he emailed me today. I got to check my email. So I definitely want to check that out. But you know, he got accepted into the festival, which that was a big thing for him. You know, he was like. Praying, you know, it got in because you know this is where it could make really one of the biggest impacts. So I hope it hope it does well for him. I think it's gonna be a really cool story. I'm really looking forward to seeing. He says it's got a really nice emotional kick to it, which he was worried because that initially he thought, you know, this is uh, John P. Vorless. Vorless, yes. Yeah. Where is this? You know, he, he was he's the director and the producer. Right, <laughs> right. There you go. And so, you're right, he's got like uh he's got like six people, maybe five or six people named in, under cinematography. So I'm guessing those are the students. Yes. That's uh that's great. I know. So uh Well, look, I'm going to tell people, you know, certainly check out your story when you post that. I'm assuming sometime middle of next week. But if you if you can't wait, if you're curious, just Google Cleveland International Film Festival Breaking Balls. The the festival does a nice job. They have a page, a web page for every movie right. that's in it. Um, there is a, I haven't watched yet, but there is a trailer, uh, attached. So we'll have to embed that with your story. Absolutely. And, um, it is part of the, uh, I had it up here. It is part of the sports section sidebar, but also there's also competitions at the film festival. So this is in the local heroes competition. Okay. So if you go down to it, you can vote for it. I, I think it's called the Roxanne team Mueller award. That's the overall festival yeah. winner, but you can also vote for it in local heroes and, um, and that's very cool. I thought I had one more thought, but that, I think I'm, I think I'm, you don't. And you mentioned how there's like there's awards they can give out. Like, is this the same thing as like Tribeca and Sundance, where they give out like the top, they give out like top honors for? Yeah, that's the Roxanne T. Mueller. How many, award. off the top of your head, how many of these films do you think break somewhat into mainstream? Is it tough? I, it, yeah. Has there ever been tough. a film that's got its origin here and then went on to do pretty well? Well, I don't know that like. Showing here is what springboarded it into doing well, but there are certainly movies. The one I always come up to, I first remember uh, seeing the movie Memento in the program 
Uh, and then oh, they was know, this was here. Yeah, before Chris was, Nolan. Yeah, wow. And then you know, six months later, a year later, it, was, it debuted at Cleveland. I'm not saying it debuted at okay. Cleveland. I'm saying it played Cleveland before it was a national release. Right. So you know, because what happens with these films is they kind of do the festival circuit. Like I said, there was just this one in Missouri. I forget where I just saw there's one coming up. You know, these kind of post-Sundance festivals. So I think they gain momentum and try to get more interest at these festivals and then go on. But most of these movies, this is your chance to see them. Right. I mean, it's a little, you know, in today's world where there's so many content, so many avenues to content, it'll be a little, some of these will end up on Netflix, you know, especially the documentaries. But um, you really can't beat the experience if you just want to go down and be a lot of people who are into it. You know, they, they make a trailer for the festival every year that they play before the movies. And it's funny, when the first couple days... You know, people enjoy seeing the trailer, but by the end, they they've memorized it and they're chant. You know, they're basically it's like a movie you've seen a million times. You can do the lines. You know, so right? It's, it's kind of a fun crowd participation. Last thing, how much if you wanted to go one day on like a Wednesday, how much would this cost you? Can you get like a one day pass? So these movies aren't super cheap. You almost have to look at it like it's a bit of a donation to this nonprofit that mm-hmm. puts this on. I want to say a single ticket. If you're not a member of the festival, it's either fourteen or sixteen, and if okay. you are a member, it's like two bucks off. So just, but, if you want to see a few movies, this could cost it's you $50, cost 60 you, bucks. The, the better you can, and I don't have it in front of me, but you can buy either a five-pack or a six-pack and get a get a, uh, get a a discount. So I would say, unless there's just really one movie and you've got to see it and you want to go down just for that, I would say don't go with the idea of just seeing one movie. You know, make a make a day or two days out of it. It's sort of... Uh, it's sort of pointless to just do that, I think. All right. Now, this one might be – your movie might be an exception. You know, it's playing It's playing at, on a Tuesday at 345. That would be tough for a lot of us. It's playing Monday, April 3rd at 735. Like if I want to see it, that's probably when I'm going to have to go. So. Right. Well, hopefully you, maybe you get out of there about like 915 and go watch the national championship game. Oh, there you go. There you go. It's that night, I forgot. Yeah. There you go. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up this week. We'll be back next week. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at – or I am at – M. Poto, and you are at Mark Mazoris. And actually, we will be back in two weeks. We've started this every other week on our rotation. So until then, who knows what we'll be talking about. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about the Cavs. It's an interesting uh, situation going on with the Cavs right now. And, you know, the Indians will be starting. We'll probably do some baseball talk. You're going to get into baseball this year? I'll do my normal going to opening day, and then we'll see if I stay interested. And then, of course, we'll always, we'll always have something going on with the NFL draft. So. Until then, we will talk to you later, and thanks for listening. This has been a production of the News Herald in Willoughby, Ohio, part of 21st Century Media and Digital First Media.